You are listening to She Speaks by the Great Canadian Woman. The great Canadian woman makes waves, she moves mountains, and she blazes trails. This podcast is a compilation of inspirational Canadian women sharing their message, their insight, their experience, and their expertise. and compassion, strength and softness, pride and humility, independence and connectedness. The great Canadian woman unites us by both our similarities and our differences, and this is where we listen, learn, connect and grow. You can learn more about our publishing opportunities, events and how to be a contributor on the She Speaks podcast or blog by visiting www.thegreatcanadianwoman.ca. everyone, my name is Penny and I am honoured to have this opportunity and platform to speak about something that's near and dear to my heart and that's pregnancy and pregnancy loss. And for me, it occurred in the middle of a global pandemic. A miscarriage happens when you lose a baby before hitting the 20th week mark. A stillbirth occurs when you lose a baby after the same 20th week mark. This heart and womb of mine has experienced both a miscarriage and a stillbirth. I remember it as though it was yesterday, a cold wintry day in January in the dead of a Canadian winter, sitting in the pews alongside my husband in a church service, when all of a sudden I woke up startled as though I was in a dream. My husband turned slowly and gave me an, are you seriously dozing off in church look? I shrugged him off, but I knew it. I knew that sleep from a mile away. The two-minute nap that is so deep, you literally forget where you are. A nap you can only describe if you have been pregnant. You see, my womb has been pregnant with child three times before. I yawned and continued listening to the sermon, warily this time. I I forgot about the incident, though it lingered at the back of my head. Fast forward two weeks later. I'm those women whose period is consistent as the sun rising tomorrow. It must happen, and it must happen on time. This time, my period was three days late. Cue in the dozing episode back to mind. I immediately knew, like the three pregnancies I had in the past, even before I saw the double pink line on the pregnancy kit, I knew there was a bun in the oven. Hubby and I knew we wanted a third child, We just had no idea that he or she would be making their entrance so soon. Did I mention the year is 2020? Well, my bun was baking in the oven. COVID was baking in the atmospheric oven. She just felt like that visitor who had overstayed her visit. And in your head, you're like, okay, it's time to leave. But nope, Corona had other plans for humanity. Enter March 2020. The buns are ready and little COVID-lets begin to show up everywhere. Schools, restaurants, movie theatres and bars are all shut down. Heck, the Olympics were cancelled. 
By then, I was about 12 weeks pregnant. First trimester blues, nausea, and catnaps were finally beginning to give me a break. I stayed home with the kids as my husband was full-time, quote-unquote, essential. I went for the first ultrasound at about this time, and the ultrasound tech said all looked well, the heart was beating strongly, baby was sitting well, nothing to raise alarms. As the days turned to weeks in lockdown, I started having a nagging feeling in my belly, no pun. I just felt nothing. I was pregnant, but felt nothing. My belly was growing in size, but I felt nothing. There's a way you feel when you're pregnant. You feel life growing inside of you. You know there is a stirring within. I was about 16 weeks pregnant at this point. So I waited to hit the 18-week mark, as that's when I was like, okay, we'll go for the huge ultrasound, um, and that's when we'll find out the gender and talk to the doctor about, hey, this baby's kind of chilled out. I remember checking into the ultrasound room. The night before, I had told my husband to pray as that nagging feeling continued to linger. I had to take the first early morning appointment of the day as my husband had to leave for work right after, as I stayed home with the kids. I went for the appointment alone, again, anti-COVID did not permit visitors. I remember the ultrasound tech was cordial, but not friendly, nor was she warm. The first thing she asked was if I wanted to know the gender of which I replied, hmm, write it on a paper, I'll give my husband, he wants to know the gender, I don't. So the scanning began. The first thing she turned on was the sound to pick up the heartbeat. And there it was. There's nothing as glorious as the sound of a beating heart in utero. In the background, I could hear news from around the world on COVID. Again, that visitor who will not just pick up their bag and leave. I'll never forget the date. It was May 4th, a day after we celebrated my husband's birthday. The silence from the ultrasound tech was deafening. I tried small talk like saying, hmm, these COVID cases are rising, of which her response was, hmm, yeah. I thought, okay, I guess she wants to do a thorough exam, being the large pregnancy scan. They call it the biophysical profile, where they look at everything from the top of the head to the littlest toe of the baby. That nagging feeling, it was now tugging at my shirt. The ultrasound tech then tilted her head as she moved the scanner around my belly, all the while, she remained quiet. I tell you, I felt as though I was in, on the set of a low-budget movie. In a whisper, the only question I could think of was, is the baby measuring at 20 weeks? To which she replied, I'll share the information with the doctor who does the interpretation. At this point, I was borderline starting to move from worry to dismay, to downright anger. There was that silence again. The scan went on for 45 minutes. I'll never forget how she kept placing the probe at one point on the belly, like pressing it in and shaking it. Usually this is done to get the baby to move. After the ordeal, because that's what it felt like, an ordeal, she came to her senses. She turned the screen to me and said, here we go, look at that, 10 fingers, 10 toes. I looked at the screen. I did see those 10 fingers and 10 toes and everything looked normal. Though to be honest, I work in the medical field. I know those scripted lines you give patients when you want to give the basics without divulging too much information. However, when she told me, huh, I wasn't sure about the gender, so I did not want to guess. Pause. Again, I'm in the medical field. At 20 weeks gestation, even the most inexperienced ultrasound tech can determine the gender. 
Things pop out at you if you know what you're looking at. There was definitely something wrong. You will hear back from your doctor in case of anything by end of today or tomorrow. Immediately I got home and told my hubby things did not sound the same as the previous normal ultrasounds we had had. Later in the evening, I picked up my phone and saw three missed calls and two voicemails from my midwife who was handling my pregnancy. Again, I'm in the medical field. Usually, if there's a problem with any test, you would never receive a call from your doctor. I listened to the voicemail. All I remember hearing was, call me back, level 3 facility, and confirm ultrasound. I handed my husband the phone to listen. It was too late in the day to call anyone back. So we waited, and first thing in the morning, we called back. We finally spoke to the midwife, who told us they had detected quote-unquote abnormalities during the ultrasound and that she was referring us to Mount Sinai Hospital, which handles specialized pregnancies and has more advanced equipment. She kept saying, usually community ultrasounds could be faulty, but by then, I had already checked out. A week later, I found myself in the high-risk pregnancy of Mount Sinai Hospital, in the middle of a global pandemic, sitting with other pregnant women wearing masks. Again alone because hubby was with the kids and the pandemic would only allow patients to be seen one at a time. I was seen by the head of the fetal ultrasound team, such a gracious French doctor who did the ultrasound. As soon as he placed the ultrasound probe on my belly, he turned on the sound, and there it was. That heartbeat in utero. At this point, I had resolved to find out the gender, because I was like, hmm, I might as well. He was so kind and warm during the procedure. In between, he mentioned softly, it's a girl. All the while, I was seeing the baby on the screen, and then I noticed it. No movement. I remember both my pregnancies at this 20-week ultrasound. The babies looked like they were doing cartwheels. When he was done, he asked, is your husband close by? To which I said, no, he had to be home with the kids. He was very soft-spoken, and with a gentle voice, he told me, your baby has developed AMC, atherogryposis multiplex congenita. He said he had seen this condition many times before, however, never this lethal to the fetus. Basically, what had happened was the baby's joints had not developed well, and the arms and feet were in a bent position. The head was flexed all the way backwards. Imagine walking with your head facing the sky. The nagging feeling I had finally made sense. He said because of the severe contractures, the baby could barely move, let alone give the lungs room to develop. He said chances of the baby making it past the 24 to the 26th week mark was slim. And even if the baby did make it, she would have limited chance of survival outside the womb. I remember the drive home. I had the windows down as I watched the sunset. Spring was here. I immediately got home and collapsed into my husband's arms. We looked at the ultrasound picture together, and there she was. There was our baby girl, looking up. Heart beating like a horse, and yet I did not feel her move in my womb. I don't think there's a worse feeling in the world like carrying a child who is there, but not really there walking into a grocery store and getting congratulations and all you can do is mutter between teeth, mm, thanks. Yet if they knew how you were battling questions such as have I failed my body or has my body failed me, looking for the God who has never failed you in the past. Two weeks later, at about 23 weeks, I went into an early labor. 
I remember going into the hospital and seeing a couple walk into the delivery unit. The wife was obviously pregnant at term and the husband was carrying the car seat, nursing pillow and overnight suitcase. My heart felt heavy. I had been there. I had done that. I knew the joy of going in to deliver a child. I knew the excitement of the hours leading up to the delivery, the anticipation, the discharge from the hospital with a newborn in a car seat. The labor and delivery unit I was placed in was for high-risk deliveries. It was so quiet. I think women were holding off on delivering until this COVID cloud had lifted. My husband was with me through the whole process. I would have had it no other way. He has been my push coach through my previous two deliveries. The nurses and the staff were spectacular. I began to have contractions around 2.30 p.m. I was given a fentanyl drip, which I held off on until the contractions became regular, consistent and forceful, which was around 4.30 p.m. At this time, it felt like I needed to have a bowel movement. What was happening was my water was breaking. The doctor came in and assessed and said the delivery would happen anytime soon. After about an hour and a half of contractions that were so strong, I knew the baby was coming. But fentanyl, fentanyl is the truth, is all I can say. The nurse I had been with the whole day was about to end her shift, but at around 6.30 she said, let us try and push one more time and see if the baby will come. And push I did. After 20 minutes of pushing at exactly 6.51, our little Angelique was born at 330 grams, asleep and peaceful. The nurse immediately said, there she is, there is no heartbeat. I heard my husband's wail. I think all the emotions of the past few days and weeks rushed in. The nurse was gracious enough to give us a few minutes alone. She had already told us before what she would do, so she took the baby, cleaned the baby, and swaddled her in the tiniest blanket and placed a hat on her head and brought her to us to hold and spend time with. For me, that moment is forever etched on my heart. Just gazing down at her, I literally felt like I had tasted a piece of heaven. There was such a peace that overwhelmed me. My husband had been previously ambiguous about holding the baby. However, at that moment, he scooped her in his arms and he felt a total release. She was warm. She was little. She was beautiful. We named her Angelique as it was the closest name to Angel. We spent a while with her and after a while, they took her to a separate room, still on the same floor, in case we wanted to spend time with her again through the night. No nursery no hearing tests, no midnight waking for feeds as was the case with our two previous deliveries. We slept so deep that night, well, me more than my husband. I think the adrenaline rush and all the euphoria of emotions were finally wearing off. Through the night, I began to feel my breasts fill up with milk. The body knew a baby was delivered, so guess what it was doing? Providing nourishment for the baby, even if she was born sleeping. That restored my hope and answered my question in that I knew my body had not failed me. My body knew what it was doing long before I had any idea and in due time, my womb would nourish life again. The next morning, we had a brief service with the chaplain. Our little girl was brought in. She was cold this time, I remember, ice cold, but she was still so beautiful. I held her hand again. I knew this would be the last time I would see or hold her. After the service, we held her a bit more and then said our farewells. 
I kissed her cheek and whispered, Rest in his arms, darling. We made plans to do a cremation later after the autopsy report was completed in about a week. We were later discharged after the being handed plenty of resources on support groups and follow-up appointments. I am forever grateful to the amazing team at Mount Sinai. Their professionalism is unmatched. They made the process so seamless and treated us with the utmost respect in what was for me the lowest point of my life. There's so many nuggets I gained through the process. Just to share a few with anyone who has experienced or is experiencing pregnancy loss through miscarriage, infant death, or stillbirth. I just want to tell you, your body has not failed you. She will nourish life again. Number two, I'd tell you, allow your spouse to grieve differently from you. They say most couples divorce after the loss of a child. The truth is, there's a level of disregard or judgment of how we think our spouse should grieve. This clouds the process as the other person is left to feel they are either overdoing it or not grieving enough. Grief looks differently for different people. Your spouse, no different. So don't judge. Just sit with them in their pain. If you can, and if you have, surround yourself with people who will lift you up during those moments when you have no energy, physically and emotionally, to do it yourself. You may feel broken physically and emotionally, but it is in the brokenness that light shines through. You will forever be changed. Hold on to your faith. Believe in something greater than yourself. For me, my Lord and Savior and the hope that I have in Him helped me see beyond my limited human eye. Thank you and I hope you are encouraged. Thank you so much for tuning into the She Speaks podcast by The Great Canadian Woman. Remember to subscribe to the show on your favorite player so you don't miss a single episode. And if you love what we're doing here, we would be so appreciative if you could leave a five-star rating and review on iTunes. And if you want to connect with today's guest or become a guest on the show yourself, head to thegreatcanadianwoman.ca forward slash podcast. Until next time, make waves, move mountains, and blaze trails.